Chapter 175 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume 3, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 175 The Horrors of the Night, The Discovery in the Road, Contention Between Man and Horse. Comfortable quarters in the golden pippin. The malefactor's body swung to and fro on the gibbet, and the chains squeaked and groaned as the wind impelled the body's motions. The wind itself whistled heedlessly by, and the transient but heavy shower passed on, heedless of the deed of blood that had been perpetrated beneath its monitory shadow. Now and then there was a little light, and then the body might be seen heaped up, and lying in the mud and mire, which was all discolored with the blood of the fallen man. He was motionless. The rain fell on him, but it mattered not. The body felt it not. The wind blew the cloak about, but the body remained quiet, and nothing appeared to spare the body. There was no one nigh. That was a lonely spot, and that was tenanted by two dismal gypsies. The body of the malefactor swang to and fro while the body of the murdered traveller lay quiet enough. The clouds travelled across the face of the moon and intercepted her light from the earth, but yet it was light enough at intervals to enable the traveller to see his way on foot or on horseback. About two hours after that in which the traveller had been stopped and murdered, there came another individual riding towards the scene. This was a countryman, a grazier, who was well mounted, and came along at a rapid rate, having a stout trotting nag under him. When he neared the spot where the murder had been committed, he gave a look up at the disagreeable object, the gibbet, and when he had done so, he put the spur to his horse's side, with the intention of going by at a quickened pace, exclaiming as he did so, "'This is no pleasant place at nine o'clock at night.' I wish I were at the Golden Pippin instead of here. As he spoke, he pushed his horse, as he manifested a design to stop. But the animal, instead of going past, reared up. Hilloa, brute! What art after now, eh? The spur was again applied, but the animal only became more and more unmanageable, and the rider near losing his seat. But he was, nevertheless, the more anxious to get onward, for the neighborhood was not pleasant. Added to which, it was a wet and dismal night, and late for a crossroad. "'Curse you!' muttered the grazier. "'What the deuce is the matter with you? Did you never see the gibbet before? If thee hadn't, I should not have been surprised at thee shying at the man swinging on the gibbet. But thee hast done so, and now thee art frightened. Whoa! Damn thee!' He made another attempt to force the horse by, but it was fruitless, and he was at length unseated into the mire. Dum! muttered the man. The first time I have been thrown these ten years, drunk or sober, and now I am sober. This was apparently the first reflection that came to his mind after the first effect of the concussion. He then scratched his head, adjusted his hat, and was getting up, when for a moment his eyes rested on something dark lying in the middle of the road, and at which his horse had in reality shied. "'Oh!' he exclaimed, with a visible alteration in his demeanour. "'That's what Peg shied at, eh? What the devil is it?' 
as he muttered these words his hair began to stand on end and the more he looked the greater his apprehension for he began to think what he wished was farther from the fact though his notions were far from being definite and he did all he could to dispel the rising terror why it ain't no it can't be and yet it must be what makes un lay there he must be dead surely thrice he scrambled to his feet and then walked a little towards the object against which his horse stood smelling and snorting with evident signs of fear. Woe, brute! What's the matter with thee? Confound thee! But I suppose thee wast frightened. As the man spoke, he walked up to the animal, and, taking the bridle, he passed it over his arms, and then approached the body. Aye, sure enough, he's insensible, if not dead, poor fellow! what can be done there's no one near at hand to lend assistance he paused to consider what was to be done when it occurred to him as being the most likely thing that could be done was to probe the unfortunate man he could not say whether he was dead or alive from his position in the middle of the road if un ain't dead he argued he would come to no harm for it wasn't every horse that cared as much for a man as peg did they might get run over or cause some desperate accident. Having made up his mind what to do, he secured Peg and turned his attention to the body of the stranger, which had been left on its back with its face upwards, but the wind had blown the cloak over it, and it was not seen by the grazier, who now essayed to move the body. After some trouble he succeeded in dragging him there and propping him up against the bank, upon which grew a stunted hedge, and when there he opened the cloak and looked upon the features of the dead man well he muttered i never yet saw such a face i am sure i can never forget that of all the ill-looking thieves he is the worst but much i suppose must be set off on the fact that he is a dead man and a murdered one to boot there was a strange markedness in the style of features in the dead man that gave no pleasing impression to the mind it was one that could not easily be forgotten, especially accompanied by all the horrors of their place and circumstances. He has been shot, no doubt, he muttered. This must be all blood. Aye, in the breast, or thereabouts. Oh, he is dead. Well, I'll ride to the Golden Pippin, and then I'll give them notice of it. He was just about to turn and mount his horse when the clouds parted, and the moonbeams for a few moments came upon the body without any hindrance, and the grazier thought he saw a movement. It must have been gammon, he muttered. I'll be off. I'm quite cold and shivery here. I'll go to the Golden Pippin and get some good cheer, for I'm terribly shaken. Eh, what was that? The devil! The latter exclamations were uttered in consequence of the figure turning towards the moon's rays, and then opening its eyes, which had such an effect upon the unfortunate man that he staggered back terrified. "'Lord have mercy!' he ejaculated. "'What's—what's what's that? He's—he's he's coming too. Hello, friend, how are you?' The figure turned his large motionless eyes upon the terrified man, and they had such an effect upon him that, despite all he could do to rally himself, he sprang involuntarily onto his horse's back, and galloped off furiously. It was scarce an hour before this occurred, when the two highwaymen rode up to the Golden Pippin. 
Hilloa, Hilloa, ostler here, shouted one of them, and in a few moments more the ostler came out, willing enough. Hilloa, Jem, you are sharp to-night. How is it you are not asleep? I was just going to roost, master, but I shall have a job instead, I can see. You will, but not an empty-handed affair this time. Take care of the nags, and there's a crown for you. Thank you, master. You are always generous. When I can, Jem. But what company have you in the house? Little to speak of, said the ostler. About three or four people, as lives about here. But nobody that I know, anybody or anything, only people that have to earn their living. They are in the kitchen. Good fire? Yes. Then we'll go there, too, said the highwayman. It's a raw, cold night, and one in which a good supper and a good fire will do one good. The two highwaymen then entered the house, and walked into the kitchen, which was a large room, with beams across the top, and a variety of utensils proper to the place. But the grand feature was the large fireplace, in which burned brightly some good logs, and threw a glowing warmth and bright light over the whole apartment, in which, however, was one candle, as if to be mocked by the light of the fire. The use of this solitary wick was to enable the smokers to light their pipes without stirring, and also to be taken away at a moment's notice for any purpose that might be needed. The three guests turned their attention to the newcomers, without, however, exchanging one word, and the landlord himself arose. "'Oh, landlord,' said one of the highwaymen, "'I'm glad you have a good fire. "'Tis one of the best things after a cold ride a man can have met with.' "'Except a good hot supper and a cup afterwards,' said his companion. "'All these are very good things in their way, gentlemen,' said the landlord, "'emptying the ashes of his pipe out into the fireplace "'by tapping the pipe on the toe of his shoe, "'and thus dropped the ashes out of danger.' "'You are right, landlord,' said the other. "'But I always think, gentlemen,' said the landlord gravely, "'that they are always a great deal better when they can be had together. "'They are better for their company's sake. "'The one helps the other.' "'So they do. "'Well, then, let us have them all, old cock, as soon as you please, "'for we are both cold, tired, and hungry.' "'And they are the best accompaniments you can have "'as a preparatory for all that is to follow.' Amen, and about it, said the highwayman. The two new guests sat themselves down in one quarter of the kitchen, and near to a table facing the fire, where they could enjoy its genial warmth, which they appeared to do with much gusto. Having opened their coats and taken off their shawls, removed their hats, and sat down in a comfortable manner, they began to look about them. Well, Ned, we have made a good exchange. How do you mean? Why, we have exchanged the road to comfortable quarters, which, you will at least admit, is all the better. Yes, much better, though I have ridden many a long and weary night before now, with the runners at my heels. Ay, ay, so have I, but hush, say no more of that here. I have no idea of letting these blacks suspect anything. They are what you call honest men, and men who would give a clue in a moment if they thought it was wanted. I dare say it is so, Ned, but what are you going to have for supper? I don't know. Landlord, what can we have for supper? Anything hot? Why, said the landlord, 
I can kill a couple of chickens and brander them, for there is some chicken pie and a cold ham. Well, what do you say, Ned? Can't you make the chicken pie warm? It is warm now, said the landlord. I can't make it quite hot without doing too much. Tis uncommon good, and has not been long put by from supper. It was made for supper, but there's a good half left. Eh? What do you say to chicken pie, Ned? With all my heart, chicken pie let it be, then, replied Ned. Well, then, landlord, put the chicken pie on, flanked by the ham. Some of your foaming October, you know. Ay, ay, sir, some with a head on, that would take a blacksmith's bellows to blow off, it is so strong. Ha, 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 that's the strike for us. The landlord now arose, and set about getting the necessary articles, and spreading them upon a table before the two guests, who were nothing loath to see the expedition that he had made to please them. I think, said the landlord, you will say you never eat such chickens. They are my hatching, and have been well fed. They have been well killed, cooked, and I hope will be well eaten. That is our part of the business, landlord, and if they are such as you speak of, why, you may depend upon our doing our duty by them. And the ham is my own breeding and curing. Better and better. And the October? Why, I am just going to get that. What say you to a tankard? Yes, a foaming tankard. Yes, gentlemen, I will obtain what you want. It is in beautiful condition, and when chilled, will give you a cream as thick as new cheese, and as mild as new milk. End of chapter 175